and hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Game Pit live from Essen 2018. I'm Sean. Hey everyone, Ronan here. You're very welcome in joining us on this, our first of our episodes coming from Essen. We are super excited to share some initial thoughts on some games with you. These won't be the full in-depth reviews you're used to. Those will come a bit further down the line as you'd expect. But we've got six Essen games that we've at least given a little tickle to and we thought you might just enjoy hearing our quick first impressions. Yeah, absolutely. We've been trawling the halls, walking the aisles... Gathering games for future reviews, but we'll talk about those later. And we're going to crack straight in. Ronan, what's your first game? My first game is a game that we treasure hunted, Sean, and it was an easy treasure. And I've managed to get a couple of plays in, but you haven't, so I'm expecting to be grilled heavily so far on this one. Well, I've just bought my own copy, so... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we'll do a full review. We will do. We'll keep this very brief, in which case, Carpe Diem from Stefan Feld and Alea. Uh, As everyone probably knows by now, it's a Roman-themed tile selection game in which you grab them from a central board, put them onto your own board. You've got four rounds, and you can be scoring them in various ways. And one of the keys to it is player-driven scoring. You choose where you score each round on a little grid, and there's there's like a track you have to stay ahead of in order to choose your scoring. So the main points on it is the tile-taking system. We discussed this previously. It's a circle of tiles, but there are lines that link two areas together. And when you're in one area, you can go to two other areas. And then when you're in that area and your next go to take a tile, you can go back to the area you came from or go to the next one along. Which, as has been said before, and we pointed out, is like a circle. It is like a circle, sure. And it just could be a circle. It could be a circle, but it could also be this. I don't. It doesn't bother me as much as it does other people. (laughs) It makes the planning... And seeing who can grab what you're after one or two moves ahead, much, much harder to have it this sort of hex system. Your brain just doesn't work that way. You just can't leap ahead two moves for everyone else. From what I've seen, you can correct me on this, but they're not the clearest of lines. They're quite thin and crisscrossy. The lines are okay. I mean, it is confusing to the eye. There are some other things that aren't quite as clear. There are definite colour issues. Well, yeah, we've talked about those. We've we've heard about those. Uh, Do they stand up? In the play, it is, it is a slight issue. There's backs of tiles that are very, like, there's certain tiles that you use in the last round. It's to make sure you've got lots of ways of finishing your buildings before the end of the game. They're very close to the colours of the backs of those tiles. There's just little kind of things like that that maybe need a little bit more what care. What I wanted to ask you about this one, Marilyn, is those individual scoring. Is it very sort of uh, backstabby, trying to get in there in front of people that you know is going for the same type of scoring? Or is it, is it more relaxed than that? It's quite important to jump in, or it depends if someone else is doing the same thing as you. Especially early on, everyone starts with enough points. Because if you can't score, you have to place a dobber. If you can't score one of the cards you're next to, you lose four points. And you can end up losing eight points in the first round. And both games I've played in, someone's lost eight points. And does that mean that the banderol track is, is very important? Yes, yeah, so there's a banderol track there that, on your own grid where you're placing your tiles, when you go on there, you grab a banderol, you move up on the track, that scores your points at the end, but also whoever's first gets to choose a scoring. It is very important, and it's very important to get ahead on it, and then you can drive things, and it lets you know that if I'm going for something, so if I'm collecting chickens, for example, I will definitely get the chicken scoring card. So it gives you a bit more security in what you're doing. I found that, so I was in the lead all the way through on the banderol track in the first game, and I was very confident what I was going to score. And in the second game where I got behind, 
I was always having to mitigate what I was doing and make sure I was slightly flexible. Mm. There's that market you can take to turn your goods into coins and yeah. then you sell them as anything. So, yeah, you can't be quite as focused if you're not ahead. Yeah, but at least you've got that option that you can be flexible in the game. Yeah, but it does cost you points. Right, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you do. Banderol does seem very important. So, Ronan, before we... Before you sum up, because I haven't played it, uh, do you want to... Is there anything else you want to raise about Carpe Diem? Yeah, I just want to point out that when you're drawing tiles like this, because you place them on your own board, it can be very solitaire. There's a real fight for the tiles. It is really important what you're going for. And what stops you from sort of getting a monoculture and everyone going for, for their own things that you're not competing is that there are these frame bonuses we talked about yeah. that encourage you to build certain buildings in certain places. Because everyone's got them, everyone's going for kind of the same thing over the course of the game. So yeah, you'll end up with three people wanting that last grey thing to put on. Right. Not necessarily for the two band rolls, but because they want the frame bonus. And that can get cut around. And that's good, because that means that that central interaction is going on. You are looking at what other people are doing. Very good, very good. Okay. You're selling it. You're selling it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's only a couple of plays, but it's kind of a Castle Berth Burgundy weight. Right. It reminds me a bit of Castles of Burgundy, because you're taking from the centre, putting on your own board. Mm-hmm. Maybe slightly, slightly less strategic, but this one's going to stick around, and I imagine there's a full review going to come down the line. But a very good start from Carpe Diem. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, so my first game is uh, it's one of the yes and hotness, I suppose. I suppose it's one of the world hotness in the board gaming community. It's the new Azul. It's the stained glass of Sintra, designed by Michael Kiesling from Next Move Games. So it has very similar mechanisms as is all, as in you take from the centre all of one colour uh, from a tile and then you push the rest of the tiles into the centre. But the scoring is slightly different on this one, Ronan. I'm going to start you off there. We played this one last night. Did you find the scoring more intuitive, uh, more gamery? Because there is this thing going around that is, it's more gamery than the first is all, but I didn't see that. I didn't see it either. So for the score, you're taking these colours and you've got these columns that require sets of colours to score, right? Mm-hmm. And you, when you score a column, you score the points for it and all the columns you've done to the right of it, you've got a, a row of eight of them. It was much more obvious how to score in this game to me. Well, not to me. <laughs> it, was, it was halfway through when I realised I was doing completely the wrong thing. <laughs> but I, I think there is an option of doing a couple of different things there. What I did early was... I got my right-hand columns completed once. You can complete each column twice, but they flip over and do different patterns. Anyway, I got them done early so that all my subsequent columns scored a few extra yeah, yeah. points. But the, the left-hand columns are worth more points. Yeah. So obviously I've just gone straight for the more points. Ronan's seen the long game, gone for the, the right column to, to basically, when he goes for the more points on the left, he gets super big bonuses from those. I mean, I thought about that, but beyond that, really my planning ahead was... So there's six rounds and there's five different colours and each of the five colours will at least once be the bonus colour for that for a round that if you complete a pattern for every colour tile you have in that pattern which is the bonus colour for this round you score an extra point and I was actually planning more around that and I was laying my, my patterns up and saying right this only needs two yellows now I'll wait till the yellow round to finish it. Yeah yeah there's, there's definitely that element to it which I think just pushes it beyond being quite dull drab. I actually didn't like the look of it as much as the first Azul. First Azul had its own sort of feeling. This one, it was the colours are quite bright. They're quite not gaudy, but they're supposed to be stained glass. But I think it didn't match the beauty of Azul for me. 
it wasn't as unique as Azul. Azul came out and nothing else looked like it, and you went, wow, that looks great. Yeah. I agree with you, but definitely other opinions are out there. Of course, for sure, prefer. yeah. yeah. I mean, other people who we've spoken to. Yeah, yeah. I did, no, I did think. So, that the train's I, going past, and it's really loud. The train <laughs> going past that? right outside our window, <laughs> fantastic. Now you can tell we're live. <laughs> we're live about 19 miles from Essen. <laughs> Great. The, bo- the booking didn't go too well. <laughs> That's a lot of cab fares. So in England, there's a there's a cough suite called Tunes. Yeah. Uh, or Halls. Soothers. <laughs> Hall Soothers or something. And they feel like that. I kept wanting to pop one in my mouth and have a little suck. <laughs> well, kept wanting to. Do I have to retrieve four from your mouth at certain points? <laughs> The look of it, yeah, it, it's in fact the whole game. It's so similar to us all. The mechanism is us all, and I think this is going to be a flip of the coin thing. Of if you prefer the look and this scoring, you'll prefer this. If you prefer the older, though, I prefer the older as all. To be honest with you, it's, I mean, it's only one player. Yeah. It's, it's hard to break in against a game that I've played 20, 30 I, times. I, I kind of get. I feel that because I felt that the scoring is is more. Uh, simplified and easy to read. I felt like if that this one had come out first, and maybe the the second one would have been the first one. If you know what I mean, I'm making it. Really I don't confusing. know what you mean, but if the first is <laughs> one would have come mean. out after, I <laughs> then I felt that that would be have been a progression. I'm not saying this is a massive step back, but in just to simplify it, simplifies it, which I don't think it needed. I said I agree with you, but because. I'm hearing both sides of the story. It's almost 50-50. I think it's just a taste thing. It could be, yeah. Because some people are saying, like you said, it's more gamerly scoring. I didn't see it. Yeah. I just didn't see it at all, but... Yeah, but I think to to round up on it, it's it's a very good game. Yeah. But it's Azul with a slightly different scoring for me. Yeah. And (laughs) I just can't see myself ever choosing this over the original, so... It's good... Play it if you fancy it. You might prefer it, but I don't think we did. Pretty much. And that, that's Azul Stained Glass of Sintra. What have you got next, Ronan? I've got Cryptid, Sean. Ooh. Another one I've played a handful of times. A lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. Rightfully so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're letting it right out. Straight in there. This is this is my favourite so far of these six for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. It's Hal Duncan and Ruth Verveers. It's by Osprey. Now, I've been nice about it. So uh, I better be mean about it quick. It's the game in which there's a modular board, six large tiles which are covered in hexes. The hexes have different terrains, there's different structures, and you're all trying to work out which is the one hex that's been referred to by the clues. Now, each player gets a clue book and a colour, and for each board, each player gets an individual clue, and they're all different to each other, and it'll tell you it's so far away from this terrain, or it's that close to this terrain, or it's on one of these two different terrains. And when you add all the clues together, there's only one hex will be valid, and the first person to guess that hex wins the game. You point to a hex, you say, is it there? And people put a cube if it's not, and you have to put a cube down where it's not, or they put a disc where it could be there, and once you choose somewhere and get four discs there, you know you've won. Right. So, okay, so I, I haven't played any of the games that you're going to talk about in this episode. Have you not? No, you haven't. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how how much subterfuge is there? How how much can you pull the ball over people's eyes? Or do you have to always tell the truth? Or can you be shades of grey? No, no, you have to tell the truth. Otherwise, it would be impossible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 you absolutely have to. When when someone asks you directly, you must tell the truth. And then actually, the the real hard bit comes when 
you when you ask them, so I said to Sean, can it live there? And he goes, no, then I've got to put a cube down. That is almost the entire game. It's being vague enough, misleading people, so that you're not putting the cubes down, so it's really, really obvious what your clue is. Right, okay. So that, that, that really is the key to it. And what is, is interesting is that every time there's a question and every time there's an action, you're all involved. Because the second someone puts a cube or a disc down, you go, oh! So that means their clue might be that, it might be this, it could be that, it could be the other. Is it one of those games that it can be fantastic or it can just peter out if the, everyone knows where the clue is and it's just whoever's next in turn order that will get it? It's too quick for that. Okay. It's, it takes 20 minutes to play. Right, okay. It's super quick and certainly the field narrows down. It might be quicker for some than others. And if you get to the point where I'm thinking, okay... I'm pretty sure Ellie knows where it is on the next turn she's going to go for it. I will have enough information to make an educated guess. Because and, and, I obviously know what mine is, and I should have worked out a little bit from the others. So I'll just go, right, I'll go for it there. And you might get lucky, and you might win. But in a 20-minute game, is it that important? Usually it's the good deduction that's going to win you the game. And last question for me, Ronan. It's one of my usual questions. Player count, what's the best? It plays three to five. I, I mean, I think it works on all. There's... Uh, absolute big huge stack of cards with loads of different setups and they all play three four or five players every single setup you just get slightly different clues and I can't see there'd be an issue with any of them to be honest with you I'm two for two I want to play both of your games great I think you didn't get to do my moan that I said I was going to do right at the beginning oh go on then go on components not good from Osprey as well Osprey are usually top quality quality's fine right yeah there are three blues in the game there's a structure that's blue, uh, right, and there's right. two blue player colours. <laughs> and there's actually a blue C as well, so there's four blues. Okay. They ain't that different. <laughs> they, <laughs> not, they are not differentiated enough, especially the two player colours. And that is really important, because you're looking and you want to go, right, all of that colour is none of them are on mountains. So maybe maybe it's on mountains, that's what their clue is. Something like that, right? Mm. And when you've got the two so close to each other, you're like, are you joking me, man? This huge. It's huge a bit mistake. of a misstep in a visual game. Like, yeah, the vi- visuals are very important. Yeah, so, and they've yeah. kept all the visuals really plain. The terrain's really plain, and that's cool. That's fine. Yeah. It doesn't look that. It actually looks like a prototype. One of your favourite things. <laughs> but but those player colours being too close, complete misstep. Other than that, Cryptid, I've loved it. Four games so far. So for such a quick game, probably need more to fully firm up an opinion. Mm-hmm. But absolutely loving it. Very good. Okay, so my next game is one that's made it onto Ronan's top ten most anticipated for us. It certainly was. And, and now I've got a copy. You've, we've both now got a copy. But I haven't played it yet. But Ronan hasn't played it. <laughs> it's Chronicles of Crime, designed by David Cicerell from Lucky Duck Games. And... As Ryan said, I've managed to get a couple of plays in of this. It's an app-based board game where you are essentially trying to solve crime, but there's an overarching story within that. Uh, Ronan, have you have you seen much of this going on? I'm aware of it, obviously, because it's on my top ten. It's one of a couple of these detective games that are coming out at the same time. Obviously, one of them's called Detective. In terms of the deduction and all that, we'll start with that, Sean. Yeah. The actual investigation process, which to me, in all honesty, is the easier part to design off one of these detective games, because mm-hmm. people love a puzzle and love a whodunit. Yeah. How is the actual detecting process? Right, so you start off with the actual virtual reality side of it, which 
I think he's absolutely fabulous to be able to stand in the crime scene and look around and find the clues for yourself. This is when you're using your mobile phone. Yeah, right? you use your mobile phone and they... You can either just use your mobile phone and not have it virtual reality, mm-hmm. or they give you a little pair of spectacles that fits over your mobile phone, and it actually does work. You have to tilt them at a certain angle sometimes to get the best out of it, but it does work, and you do you are spinning around your room like an Egypt, looking up and down at things, and, oh, look at that, and look at this, and what have you. It's superfluous. You don't need it. You don't need, the... you don't need it, but it's brilliant. But you need you do need the phone. You, you, you need... A picture of the crime scene. Right. And you need to be able to look into the crime scene. And what you do... You see, it's the glasses bit you're saying is superfluous, or... The glasses, it just... All you need... You could have a you could have a card, a piece of paper. It could be in a book. Why are you ruining our fun? <laughs> this is what... Well, no, we want to play with it. <laughs> no, it's, it's fabulous. And it, and it sort of brings you into... Immerses you in the game. So that's where it does come into its own. But all you're doing really is picking things out. So you're saying, okay, there's papers on the floor. And you look for a card and you see if, if there's a card that says papers. And you put that to one side. And then all you're doing is scanning them to see if they come come up with something. If, if the app tells you, oh, yeah, the papers say this. And then you sort of you pick I up hear, a month from that. I hear, yeah. And then, yeah, then, then obviously the investigation continues. You're talking to people. You're going to different locations. And obviously, the more you talk to people, the more they give you. And what I really like about it, Ronan, the investigation process, is the, the characters people change as the investigation progresses. Okay. So you can find out something that maybe counteracts what somebody has told you. You can go back to them, and their story will change. You're putting the squeeze back. on them. Yeah, you've put the squeeze on their backs against the wall. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, well, okay, all right, I did lie about that, but... <laughs> so, which is really, really clever. And I like it. You get, you get a lot of progression in the witnesses as well as the case. In almost any media, if the world progresses without you making it progress and things change while you're off doing other things, that always immerses me more. For like sure. in a book, if nothing happens until the heroes turn up and then they change it and then they go away, ten years later, come back, it's the same. It puts me right off. And this seems like it captures that where you feel like Perfect. I'll tell you you're what, in a real yeah, world. Just, just to emphasise that point, there's times when you get information say, yeah, this person's normally around here at five o'clock. And there's a timer, the actual daytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might be three o'clock. You have to wait for two hours. <laughs> Go back to that location at five o'clock and check for them and they'll probably be there you're tickling me and then if you go back after that or if you wait too long they ain't gonna be there you are tickling me (laughs) Uh, alright we'll talk about time that's a lovely segue is there a time pressure on the investigation have you got a limited amount of time there is or there feels how how much of a pressure is there I'm not sure if it's the app sort of working it's magic or whether there is an actual timer but we seem to every time we play it we seem to get in in the nick of time and like win the day in the nick of time like I don't know if there's a trigger where you find out a certain clue or a certain person tells mm-hmm. you something and all of a sudden the the chief at Scotland Yard says right I need a decision you need to get back here because this is going on too long and then you go back to Scotland Yard and you, you tell them your findings you might have to deliberately mess it up one time and see like yeah, yeah, just, yeah, four keep years going. into the investigation <laughs> what are you doing lads still in the pub <laughs> right I said that the detective part is the easy part to design, but it seems like they have put some real thought and innovation into that. Mm-hmm. The hard part for me on detective games is the end, where they ask you the questions, because a lot of times it's very specific information they want. And you could play as well as the next group, but have unveiled different information 
that seems valid but isn't in the specific questions you're asked? It's like a, a watered-down version of something like Sherlock Holmes consulting. You knew you had to. It had to be referenced. Or yeah, well, it had to be. It had to be. But it's the issue we had with Sherlock Holmes is that they, they would come up with some, so the, the case may be about, I don't know, Joe Bloggs has murdered his, his grandmother, Ivy Bloggs. And then we'll ask you, so Martin Smith was seen wearing lederhosen on a certain day. What day was it? Like, well, I don't know. It was Thursday, in this. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah, he always does that. <laughs> you don't get that wide of a swing away from the, the main narrative. There is that occasional bits. Okay, you might have spoken to this person. Did you, what did they tell you about it? And it's more geared towards how did you get to your conclusions to make sure. It's like it's like doing your workings out in, when you're doing your maths. <laughs> so they'll check the workings out. Make you've sure you've done it the right way. <laughs> uh, and I think the last question is that one of the selling points was with the same components, you can have different stories. Because let's say those papers, they might be something in one crime, but something else in another crime. 100%. The people will be different. 100%. Yeah, so, yeah, so you've, got your, you've got your main characters that you can ask questions to. You've got your, your scientist, your doctor, your, your psychotherapist, and I can't remember who the other one is. But you basically, you go, go to them for everything. And they will interact with the case itself. Okay. And obviously, yeah, there'll be, there'll be papers on maybe two crime scenes. And obviously the papers will say something different. So it's very easy for them to write that in, have just those basic components. Lovely. And uh, You're selling this to me. This is a very positive episode so far. Well, there you go. Only negative is if you are playing it with one mobile phone, handing it around, because everything has got to be zapped by with a QR code mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And it's handing it around, and they say that, oh, you should, have, you should split up the characters so you each have one. I actually found that just give one person the phone and say, well, you've got it for 10 minutes. Then give another person. Everyone's got to look at the crime scene yeah. and stuff like that, but they can... People can say, right, oh, can you check this for me and hand them the card and one person scans. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly handing it around, it does get a bit tedious. Okay, noted. But overall? Overall, absolutely fantastic. I'm, I've bought Detective before this one, but played this first, and Detective has been relegated until I get through a bit more of this because this one is very good, Ronan. And I've started Detective. So I might need to finish that. <laughs> so I'm yes, keeping my powder dry on that. That one. was Chronicles of Crime. Okay, so second last game. Symphony Number no. 9, designed by Frank Liu and Hung Yang Sher, and published by My Ideas. Symphony Number no. 9, it's about 18th century uh, classical music being composed in Europe, and we play the roles of the noble sponsors. And we're looking to sponsor works by these six different composers. And in sponsoring them, we claim cubes of them. And we use those cubes to claim their works. And each of the works will score differently at the end of the game. And then there's an auction to see who performs this turn. And the composers who perform will earn money for those people who have previously sponsored them. And that money will use to spend to earn cubes to get more works and so on over six rounds. What's interesting to me, Sean, is that Money is the driver to the game. You get a couple of free cubes each round, but you can pay for more. But it's just a means to an end. And once you play Symphony Number no. 9 once or twice, you'll realise it's not about the money. It's all about the cubes. And you have to focus down quite a lot. When in a lot of auction games, it's much more about the money. The market money is just secondary in this one. And, and a lot of things this game does slightly differently to your famous bog standard euro. 
it was it was a unique theme, which even though there is another symphony game out, I think it was sort of in Essendon, the Essendon halls, but it is a fairly unique theme, and it was always going to be interesting to see how they would make a game out of this. Or are you saying that it this plays slightly different, and it's all about just pushing cubes around? Do you ever get the feeling for what the subject material is about? No. Okay. <laughs> it's a stock game. And the stock happens to be in these composers. Right. And that's about it. There's not really anything to it. And I didn't really like the look of it, Ronan, when I saw it. Now, I know we, we have a differing opinion on this. I thought it looked dull as ditch water. The look, as with the gameplay, as with the theming, all slightly different, slightly not what we're used to. Mm-hmm. So... I think maybe a little bit of adjustment, but I, I actually like it. I like the fact that the theme is slightly different. It could have been pasted on, you could have been stocked in silk and spices and pepper and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it's not. You're buying stocks in Beethoven and Mozart <laughs> and Taden, and you can kill them. You can work them to death. Brilliant. Which, and which is actually a good thing for you if you've invested in them, because it makes your work <laughs> worth more. And that, that sort of macabre touch, I quite like that. Right, so now we're killing Paul Beethoven. <laughs> it's actually one of the funny things is their fame goes up and down over the course as the cubes get taken. Mm. And there's two sides. One, the mirrors their actual life. And how famous they are means whether they'll perform in a high-level concert, medium-level concert, or low-level concert, depending upon how much money the players have bid on that round for where the concert's going to be. And Beethoven's got a clear, we must be where he goes deaf, dips from like seven down to a two out of ten, <laughs> and then slowly rises again. It's a bit brutal, Larry, but you're like, what happened? what happened to Paul Mozart in his late 20s? He's just gone to plot. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny, some of that stuff. And... The game end, there's different tiles that you attach on, so you can mix and match them, so the different composers can score in different ways, and also those game end scoring tiles are reversible, so there's like okay. 10, I think, different scoring, because some of them are the same ones, right? but I think there's 10 different scoring means you can use for these six composers, so you can mix it up around, and you can mm. score in different ways, and there's two different ways of scoring as well. Because what happens is, you get to take two cubes in a round, and then you can buy more. And at the end of when everyone's taking their cubes, whoever's got the most cubes gets one work. And there's only ever going to be six works produced maximum if they don't die by the composers. But some of them are going to score you, like whoever's got the majority will score 20 points. So you want to keep collecting those ones, maybe. Mm. But a lot of them are multipliers for things that have happened in the game. But once you get to three of those, they don't multiply anymore. Right. So then it kind of, you want to start diversifying. And the fact that some of them you want to lock in, some of them you want to diversify, some of them score this, some of them will score for every tile you have of that composer will score more points for each tile you have of all the other composers. So you want different ones with all of that. And they really, it forces you to think in different ways. Okay, so what you're saying, Roland, is kind of matching in what what I've heard about this game, that it is a little bit different, but it's also getting a little bit of buzz. So far you've been, or at least sounded quite positive about the game. Is there any negatives? No, I like it. I think it's really quick. It plays in under 60 minutes. It's a bit kooky. It scores slightly differently. It plays slightly differently. You start realising that money's not the be-all and end-all. It's just a means to an end, like I said, 82 times. And I think it's just a nice, different take. And it's something that will force your players to think slightly differently and outside the box. And I'm all for it. And I, I like Symphony Number no. 9. It's another positive, sure. Wow, very good. 
So it's not I, like us at all. We must. No, be it's not. It's not. We must. We must have had some fever. Fever. We had some fever. So um, the last game of this episode is a game we've literally just played. So it's hot off the press. It is called Passing Through Petra, designed by J. Alex Kevin and coming from Renegade Game Studios. So very, very swiftly, it's a very simple action selection game in which you have a, a tile economy. You're placing and manipulating tiles to go to market and to sell things to various characters in the game. And there's obviously, there's a little bit more to it. There's cards that give you objectives on there. There's cards that are going to help you. But the heart of it, Roland, is that very, very simple action selection mechanism that works quite well, I think. Yeah, so there's a three-by-three three grid, and there are each of the four actions is in a cardinal direction. And when you move towards that action, you get to take it. But obviously, on a three-by-three three grid, the maximum you can do is two moves in that direction before you have to start moving back in the other direction. Yeah, if you can't move towards it, you cannot take that action. Yeah, yeah. and that forces, and this is a word I think that's going to run through my initial thoughts of passing through Petra, forces a rhythm of your play. That you're going backwards and forwards and then up and down and backwards and forwards and up and down. And this is one of the aspects in which you have to prepare yourself for that rhythm. And you have to leave yourself with valid moves that allows you to reset. So you take tiles and what it does is you're basically making connections between two different locations by taking tiles. And you take them, you add them to a, a row at the bottom of your board and they push along ones and they go to the top. And by connecting pairs sets from the top and the bottom is how you're going to move around these tracks get cubes out and score points it's nothing to do with money it's just about getting your influence out so you're kind of like a middleman you're kind of like a dealer yeah there's a rhythm to that like you take the tiles but you can't take the tiles too often I, yeah I, I get what you're saying I felt like it was very rarely I didn't go in one of two directions either towards the area where you take two tiles which is called Ronan's going to tell me the plaza. Plaza, that's the fella. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> the, I know the other one was the sick, but this is the plaza where you get two. The sick allows you to just to get the one character. So I wasn't that interested in the sick because I wanted to keep my characters moving along and get the right characters chained up. So what happens when it's a queue, basically, isn't yeah. it, of, of tiles. When you, you take one or two tiles and you slide the others and when ones fall off at the end, they go up a above your player board, they become one of the people or the location that is selling to one of the other locations that is on your row. So you've got the columns up above, you've got the rows down below, and the columns are selling to the rows. So, <laughs> <laughs> or the people on them. Anyway, and I, ever, I only ever really moved from the plaza to the market to sell. The plaza... To the market to sell. It was a seesaw. It was a rhythm. It was a seesaw rhythm. Yeah, but I mean, there's only four actions. Yeah, but and I, you have to take the village. I very, very rarely went to the village or the seek. But you had to go to the village because when you sell from a location, you then have to go to the village to reset. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't sell from one location and then you can rinse it. Basically, you'd use the market action three times and then you just sell. Just basically, you might not even want the car, but you just want to free up those spaces sometimes. No, you might. <laughs> because you were about, what were we going to say, 824 times better than I was. Yeah. And you were cooking dinner at the same I time. I was cooking dinner, concentrating on that, having to rush over, take and go. <laughs> you were next to us. You were part Rush of the over, game. four miles. Through. You were literally in the same I room. Was, I was, I was. But 
I wasn't always concentrating on what I was doing. And so how much did you beat me by? I, f- I finished ahead of everyone. <laughs> so you got there's nine cubes you've got to get rid of, and you do it either by trading at the same place and going around around the track and putting your cubes down, or as Sean said, you can get these objective cards, and they'll say, oh, if you've traded three times in Rome. You can place a cube on this card, or if you've built, because there's little infrastructures you can build up to make you slightly better when you trade in certain yeah. places. If you've done that in certain places, you can put a cube down. So nine cubes to get rid of. Sean got rid of nine cubes. I got rid of, I think, three. <laughs> Eleanor got slightly closer to him. She got rid of about six. But, probably got rid of four. Let's, let's put a caveat onto that. You guys were ramping up. You guys got to the point where I had been maybe just a few steps before where I was sort of having big moves, where I was moving around. The circles that allow you to place your cubes and get re- rewards. I was moving around them quite rapidly with moves of like 15, 20, where you guys just started on threes and fours, but you got to that point. I never got past the threes and fours. <laughs> well, you did. Was, I Some know, of Puri the competent people Puri, did. Puri, Puri was waiting, sitting, lurking for a big move. I know he, he was. was going to get rid of four of his five cubes yes. in one go. <laughs> <laughs> most Puri move ever. You say in there that we were ready to get rid of some cubes it ramps up quickly yes it does not hang around this game no you it... start off you set your rhythm I'm going to go back to my yeah, word again rhythm boy <laughs> you set your rhythm you start setting up your, your line of tiles because you're setting up your trades ahead of time you're looking ahead and going oh I need Rome in my lineup now I need Egypt now I need India what have you I'll tell you what Ron, I'm just going to jump in there yeah there's a game about rhythm and you certainly had the blues <sighs> I'm going to beat him with something in a second. <laughs> Lordy Lord, that's as good as it gets. That's as good Late as it gets. Night. <laughs> Late at night, after all in the halls. <laughs> but it absolutely did not stick around too long. It felt like it was going to. It felt like, oh, hang on, yeah, I've, I've only got five, still got five of my nine left, but then they just went whoosh. I had that one go where I just got rid of three in one go, and all of a sudden I was down to two, and then another two went because... You can basically gather camels as well. And I was just gathering loads and loads of camels. You were? I was. I had the one I started the game with. I had about 12, yeah, I think. I, yeah. And I was able to just advance that marker to put down my second one. I'd also made a... Just, just to rub it in a little bit, I'd also done one of my achievements. So I'd yeah. kind of... I'd won and then... You I'd were the champ champ. Down. I'd champ champ. Time for a billionaire's walk. <laughs> <laughs> I... Don't know that this is the best convention game because if you don't play it all the way through, I don't think you see the whole story of it and that how the ending comes and the fact that you've set yourself up for that ending. So I think there's a possibility people might try it and go, hmm. Because when we did our first couple of moves, we were like, we're all doing the same thing. This is all really obvious. Mm. And then we started to diversify. But you can't diversify that much in your actions, obviously, because there's only four of them. But you do diversify on what you're trying to do. But it's, it wasn't obvious to me on the first play that it, would, it diversified much. Yeah, so I think what I'm going to say to basically sum up, kind of touches on that, is I think, first of all, just off to a side, I think it has a real presence because the, the sick where you collect the main body of the tiles and the plaza where, where you collect uh, some of the tiles, like you've got that long sort of canyon. What do you say? It's a canyon. I knew or- you'd like that. Yeah, I'd call it uh, a sick. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's what I'd call it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a five-mile-long canyon that leads into Petra. You know, because you know Petra's here. Oh, right. Right. yeah, yeah. It yeah, is yeah. the actual. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, which gives it a presence, and it does make it stand out. If you go, oh, what's going on there? But I felt 
and go back to that rhythm, I felt that the client, the rhythm of the game almost dictated what you were doing. Certainly for me, I was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to the market. When I had done three trades, it was fairly simple. Go down to the village, get rid of the cube so I can do those trades again. Back and forth, back and forth. And it, it very, very, it was only if I desperately wanted... How could you only do three trades though? Because all five of your people linked together. So when you trade with one, you've got to set up with the next one along, and then set up but with it's, the next it's, one along. When you're doing that plaza move and collecting two tiles, it's always it's thinking one one or two goes ahead, and making sure that you've got the right ones coming off to, to activate at least three people, and so you so you're just thinking that one or two. I got I get ahead. the theory of it, <laughs> but I I didn't feel that it was doing anything massively different and I don't think I'd ever play that game differently if I was just there to win. I might try something if I was playing with new players, but I don't think I'd change it against you. I've got almost the opposite point to make. Well done. That I think that this is the hardest game to judge of these from one play because you're not aware of that rhythm of it and I'd like to see what would happen as people went and played again and how much it would change or would people start doing things differently? Would there be more competition for tiles? Would we be looking at you going, right, he's ramping up to go along that route. Cut that out. You can't have any China tiles now because mm. now what are you going to do? How are you going to think your way around this one? Yeah, fair enough, yeah. yeah. You could and I'd like to see that and see, people, yeah. yeah. I think, I don't think we, it, uh, again, it's only a quick game, but I don't think we fully explored it. And that's why I was saying I'm not sure it's going to be the best impression. I, I have my doubts, but I'd certainly like to give it another go. I'm going to force you to come back to it. I'm going to force you through my passage to Petra. <laughs> God. There's a thought for you. I <laughs> 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 went that way, did it? So, there you go. Those are our verdicts. Oh, I didn't really sum up on passage to Petra. Well, I'm, I'm holding back. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the play. Um, I enjoyed it, yeah, yeah, for sure. I did have fun. And I think... A lot lighter than I thought it was going to be. And as I said, probably a lot quicker. Than it's different it and it's interesting. And I did, I did enjoy it for sure. And we'll see how it holds up to repeat play, shall we? Yes. We'll come back to it. Right. Beautiful. Sean, any final thoughts for these good people? Just that we are going to be back in the halls again tomorrow. We're on the Dice Tower booth between one and two. So we were very lucky to have a few people come up to us today, Werner. We appreciate it very yeah. much. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely delighted when people come up and say hello, uh, even if you agree with us or not. <laughs> Just come up and say hello. Yeah, we did, yeah. We did have people come up and say, I love listening to you because I disagree with you so much. <laughs> well, that's and good to know. You know what? I think that's probably the majority of people. <laughs> <laughs> probably the wise people. Yes, indeed. So thanks to everyone that we've seen so far um, and chatted to. We've got some excitement plan. We've got a playtest of Barrage tomorrow, Sean. Yeah, yeah that should be good. At King's Dilemma from Horrible, who have been incredibly busy on the first day. Oh, my word, yeah. A little bit As has the whole the show, we have noticed that Thursday almost felt like a Saturday from previous years. And that did feel like a Saturday in certain areas. In in halls one and three for sure. Oh. But places like Horrible and Fuhlenspieler were just inundated from from ten o'clock until closing time. They were just mobbed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean a queue twenty deep things, all day long. Things were um, selling out left, right and centre. Look out. Mobbed. Lookout was mobbed, but things like Newton has gone. 
the expansion for Great Western Trail has gone. Teotihuacan. Yeah, Teotihuacan has gone. There's, I don't know that publishers are expecting this. Yeah. If Saturday carries on the trend, I think it's going to be an absolute madhouse. I think it'll just be in there, grab a slab of mesh, do our dice tower, <laughs> do our dice tower stint and get out. Really, I genuinely and like we've been going since 2010. Surprised by how mega, mega busy it was today. Just, just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. I can't emphasise that point enough. But loads of cool stuff. Lots of buzz going. Oh, amazing! On. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I like some of the innovation that the vendors are coming up with. There's the one that are playing the game within the circle with the drawing pads. Yeah, yeah, that's all the um, time. Just one repost. Just one. You've obviously got uh, the the bed game. I can't remember where. Well, well, I, when I dream, they've got the bed out again. They've got. There's another one that's got arcade machines. It's looking more and more professional every year. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, there's loads more, and there's still this game, the, the little escape room is back, and just loads of stuff going on. They've moved a load of the mini stuff and cosplay and role-playing stuff over into one hall together, and it feels more coordinated or more put together this year. Yeah. Like someone's actually looked at the hall plans and gone, do you know what, it makes sense to have these people together yeah. and these people together and those games together. And it all seems to be coherent. Yeah. Is that the right word? I don't I think that. so. Ronan, I've got one more thing before we let these lovely people go. Hit me. One or two, because I've got two. Okay, so two. that's not one, is it? <laughs> that's not one. Two games that you're double excited that you've picked up so far. You should have given me more time. I'm now <laughs> searching around. I'll tell you what, I'll them. do mine. Okay, let me think. Go on. While you think. So... Two games that I'm most excited about. I picked up Dice Hospital today, the deluxe version. Uh, proper excited about that. I think it looks amazing. People have been telling me really good things about it. And I was really excited about Robin Hood when we talked about that on our preview. And I, I worked myself up into a stupor, Ronan. So it was pretty much the first thing I bought. And yeah, Robin Hood and Dice Hospital. Magnus Storm. Ah, you were well up for that. I got in early today at Foreland. It was a queue at just after 10 and it never went away. And the estates. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. God. That Eleanor is also very excited to play. Yeah, it's because she's got mean street like her father. Yeah, she's a good girl. (laughs) She's been well raised, that one. So those will be my two, Sean. So everyone's going to be hearing about them. We'll let them go. We'll let them go. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Essen. Thank you, <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you hopefully in a couple of days' time for just another one of these quick roundups. And as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. We also have our YouTube channel where we have our pit stop videos showing overviews of games. And we also have convention coverage. So go there where Eleanor has been working very hard to put together some montages for us. So we've got one out from yesterday. Go and check that out. We have our social media on Facebook, Twitter at Game Pit Podcast and Instagram. And if you want to contact us, we're at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, we do have our Board Game Geek Guild, which to my mind is the best way to contact us because we are constantly lurking around board game geek thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time music by e Aaron.
tired boy. Very tired from walking round Essen, boy.